0: Good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. I'm Brett, and uh, it's good to be here. We've been in a series called Crazy Faith for the last three weeks. And the first week we kicked it off, we talked about how crazy faith is this faith that believes God for everything, and it's amazing what God can do, and He does miracles through us. And we talked about how none of us get there right away, but we have to build on something. So two weeks ago, we talked about baby faith. Just taking one step of faith and believing God for what he says in the Bible. If God says it, we need to believe it. That was baby faith. If he said it, we need to believe it, and then we need to track his faithfulness because our faith will grow like a muscle if we exercise it. Last week, Josh was here and he talked about maybe faith, being willing to step out in faith, even when we don't have all of the facts or information. Well, today, we're going to talk about a new kind of faith. You see, what happens happens when we step out in faith, and we think we're doing the right thing, and then adversity comes, struggles come, it's kind of like you're in a, in a boat and you think you're fine and then all of a sudden the waves come and the boat starts rocking and you start thinking. I was off the Atlantic City coast um, deep sea fishing one time with a couple friends and we were out five miles and all oh, the waves came up and I thought that I was on the boat having a good time and then... An hour or so in, I realized I was just on the boat, not having a good time, and you could see the lights, and then you could see nothing, and then you could see the lights, and then you could see for hours. Oh, like that. You step out in faith, and then adversity comes. And our tendency, I think, is to say, oh, if only Jesus was in the boat with me, he would just make everything better but what we're going to learn today is those are exactly the times when when he's saying oh no i want you to take an additional step of faith i want you to get out of the boat and come even further so if you have your bibles i want to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 14 <coughs> excuse me Matthew 14 and we're We're going to look at a story that's fairly familiar to some of you. Uh, Jesus has been teaching for quite a while. His disciples are following him. He just fed 5,000 people. And we're told in the text it wasn't just 5,000 people. It was 5,000 men plus women and children. So it could have been 10,000, who knows, but a lot. And he fed them with a little boy's lunch of five biscuits and two fish. That's crazy. So, so the disciples are following Jesus around, and he's doing things like that. <clears throat> and he's going to teach them about something called wavy faith. Now, what is wavy faith? Well, <clears throat> wavy faith is believing God enough to follow him beyond what seems reasonable. <clears throat> believing God enough to follow him beyond what seems reasonable. Here's here's what that looks like in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to begin with verse 22. Here's what he says. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Okay, I underlined something up there because these verses bother me. And they should bother you. Because when I read this, I see that it says that Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. So if you're anything like me, a light goes off in your head and you say, why did he make them? Okay, either the disciples didn't want to get in the boat, and he said, no, you got to get in the boat, or he wanted them to get in the boat really bad. And so, regardless, the text tells us, and this, this same historical account is in John and in Mark, that the text tells us that Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. Now, maybe the disciples wanted to help dismiss the crowd. I, I don't know. Who knows? We're not told. All we're told is Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. And they are unaware, apparently, of, of why. Why? Now, the Sea of Galilee is this body of water that they're going to cross. Sea of Galilee is 8 miles wide, 13 miles long. It's a big lake. The disciples are going to cross right across it, probably around the 8-mile section. They're going, to, they're going to paddle across. No outboard motors. All right, this is, this is just hard work. <clears throat> but Jesus made them get in the boat. Let's continue reading verse uh, 23. Later that night, Jesus was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So we're told that in in John's account that the boat was probably three or four miles offshore by now, so just about the middle of the lake. And at this point, the disciples are encountering a headwind that is almost impossible, angry seas, they're in a struggle. Talk about adversity. Okay, They've been paddling for about eight hours, and they've gone three miles. Agonizing. Agonizing. They're exhausted, they're frustrated, I'm sure. Potentially dangerous, impossible situation. And at this point, they've got to be thinking, and I am definitely asking, why did God... Or why did Jesus make them get in the boat? Why did he make them go out in the sea? He surely knew what was out there. And, and the disciples surely knew that they didn't deserve it. Like they, it's not like they were sinning. They, they followed Jesus Basically, they're in a storm because Jesus sent them into a storm. I I wrote this down in my notes. What if the storm we see them in was scheduled and planned to get them in a position to grow in their faith? What if the setting and the storm were orchestrated by God to give the disciples an opportunity to follow him way beyond what they were comfortable with? I wrote that down, and then I didn't like it. You know why I didn't like it? I didn't like it because what if he does the same thing to me? And I don't like to think about God that way. What if God places me in storms strategically to cause me To grow in my faith and dependence on Him. I like to think that I would just grow in my faith and dependence on Him on my own, thank you very much. But God knows that that doesn't happen. What if the storm you are in right now in your life is a storm God has allowed in order to grow your faith? What if not having a campus pastor at Vestal Campus right now is a storm God wants us in in order to teach us a greater dependence on him? Maybe God wants to remind us that this is his church. It's not a person's church, it's God's church. And God says he will grow his church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He doesn't say that Brett will build his church he says that he will. The only person that gets glory when there's four flowers up front last week and three of them are from Vestal Campus, the only one who gets glory is God. Maybe this is a storm that God is in. Maybe the storm you're in in your life right now is a storm that God is in. <clears throat> if we believe that God can work in, in all situations, he's the alpha, omega, the beginning, the end, why wouldn't we think that God works in the storms? But when the storms come, I, I want to get out of them. I don't want to stay in them. Point number one of this, this whole message is this. What if the scene of your greatest storm is the setting for your greatest growth in faith? <clears throat> what if the scene of your greatest storm in life is actually the scene of your greatest growth in faith? That, that, <clears throat> that storm that you just want to make it stop, you just want to get out of it. I think back two weeks ago when I talked about my son in neonatal and neonatal and how my wife and I would have given anything to stop that storm Make it end. And then looking back, we say, wow, look at God's faithfulness during that time. We grew in leaps and bounds in our dependence on God through that time. But in the moment, all I wanted to do is get out. Here's what, what happened in verse 25. <clears throat> it says, shortly before dawn... Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Of course he did. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. I don't know about you. Sometimes I read this and I, I in fact, I read this last week and I thought, ah, those disciples. <laughs> it's a ghost. What a bunch of goofs. But, but then I thought about it. I thought, okay, you're, you're four miles out into a lake. You're in the middle of a lake, and somebody walks past. (laughs) What are you going to think? Okay, there's no shore out there. It's not icy. I was trying to think through the, what could it be? He probably didn't have parasailing back then. Like, your natural conclusion is, it's not a person walking past us. (laughs) Hey guys, oh hey. No, nobody walks on water. (laughs) Duh. It's a ghost. Okay, that's a pretty good conclusion. (laughs) It's a ghost. And it says they were frightened. Interestingly, back in Matthew 8, um, there was a storm just like this. And it says the disciples feared the storm. Interestingly here, It doesn't say they feared the storm. It says they feared the ghost. I I think in in my own life, oftentimes I fear the storm or I fear what's happening in the storm when, when the storm is actually set up by God to cause me to grow in my faith. These men eventually will notice that the ghost that they fear is actually the solution to their problem. I I also think that that they are just like me and I am just like them. It's sad. I don't want to admit it. But I quickly do. Here's what the disciples did. They watched Jesus eight hours earlier feed thousands and thousands of people with five little biscuits and two little fishes, okay? A few days before that, they watched him calm the storm and said, whoa, who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey it when he says stop? That's crazy. Okay, they were there. Now, eight hours after they saw the miracle of feeding the 5,000, they're paralyzed in fear and doubt. That's what I do. That's what you do. We, we see God show up, and our faith is, yeah, our muscles of faith are strong. And seemingly in an instant, the storm comes up, and I doubt the very God who just showed up. And I say, why did I do that? I, <clears throat> I came to Bridgewater. So um, Bob Ketlisic, he was a pastor at Bridgewater 12 years ago. He was the only pastor at Bridgewater. And he called me and, and said, hey, would you come to Bridgewater and, and help? I want to I wanna see more people accept Jesus and you're an evangelist. And if you came, it would be really great. And <clears throat> my wife and I prayed about it. And we said, okay, God, if that's what you want us to do, we will step out in faith and leave the ministry we're in. And we will come to Bridgewater. We got to Bridgewater and began looking for a house, It's 2009, and we found a house, and we we're like, yeah, thank you, God, see, you're the best, step out in faith, and so we made an offer on the house, and they accepted the offer, and we were like, this is great, look, we stepped out in faith, and now more faith, and we're just growing our faith, and, and the bank called and said, yeah, we, we're not going to finance that house. what? So you, you know what we did? We said, well, we know God's faithful, and he's just got, no, no, it's not what I did. You know what I did? I said, come on, God, what are you doing? <clears throat> I moved here, moved my family here, we changed schools, I'm just serving you. You and me, God, you know, we're like like two peas in a pod and I'm following you and I stepped out in faith and we find a house we think is going to be great and you pull the rug out from under us. Why don't you want us to have a house? I quickly went from faith to fear and doubt. When the adversity came, instead of doubling down on faith... I reverted to doubt. I think we do this all the time. It's why we have mountaintop experiences and valleys. When you read the Psalms, you you see that David did this. I think it's human. But not with wavy faith. Wavy faith doubles down on faith. Even when things are unreasonable. (laughs) And we expect God to do something great. You see, I didn't realize until years later, well, probably a year later, that God knew all along what he was doing and the house that we really, really wanted was not the house that he wanted us to have. You see, he had a different house that was half the price, in a better location, more land, and perfect for ministry. I didn't know that but I probably should have trusted him how often do we do that in our storms we we question the very God who's trying to teach us through the storm that we can double down on him and he will never leave us or forsake us We, we tend to fear the storm and doubt God when in reality the storm is the very thing that God will use to grow our faith in Him. You see, now the Bixby family has a little Monopoly house in our blessing box to remind us that God provided exactly the right home for the Bixbys. Faithfulness, a faith builder, just one step at a time. We see storms differently with perspective when we look back. The relationship that got broke off, one day we'll see God in that storm. The job that you did not get, one day you might see God in that storm. The business that you tried to start that didn't start, one day maybe you'll see God in that storm. The sickness in your family, One day, maybe you'll see God in that storm. The disciples haven't seen God yet. (laughs) They're in the boat and they're scared to death. It's a ghost, is where we left them. Verse verse 27, it says, But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. So, so here's the setting. Okay, they're yelling. You've got wind, you've got waves, you've got paddling, you've got 12 men in a little dinghy, you've got a ghost walking on the water. This is this is not a small, hey, I was just wondering, uh this is, you know, don't worry, it's me, Jesus saying. It's me. And Peter yells back, if it really is you tell me to come see you <laughs> what that's what he says if it's really you tell me to come on the water wavy faith in action you you talk about believing god enough to follow him beyond what seems reasonable it is not reasonable for peter to want to walk on water to jesus in fact that's stupid who does that? <laughs> I don't think I would. That's crazy. If it's really you, tell me to walk out. So, so in reality, Peter wasn't even sure it was Jesus because he starts with an if. <laughs> Not a real confident position to start a sentence. If it is really you, you call me out and I'm gonna come see you. Crazy. I, I was thinking about this. I thought, okay, so nobody had ever walked on water before this. Okay? Um, Jesus was the first one to walk on water. It's not like Peter had seen this. Okay? There, there are not illusions. So probably there wasn't a traveling person walking around saying, oh yeah, I wanna see. I can walk on water. I can also make the statue of liberty disappear. Um, I mean, this probably wasn't a known thing. This was weird. And Peter says, all right, if it's you, you tell me to come out on the water. I want to water walk with you because that seems cool. (laughs) Peter, Peter did what most of us wouldn't do. He did what most of his friends in the boat wouldn't do. There were 12 disciples. Only one of them said, All right, if it's you, call me out. I'm coming out with you. No, our natural response would be, "Jesus, is that you? Oh, good. Get in this boat with me because this wind and these waves are killing us. Could could you come in the boat, please, with us? Because everything's better when you're in the boat, safe and secure in the boat. All right, in the boat is not a faith builder. Out of the boat. That's wavy faith. But, but what we tend to do, what I tend to do, is I tend to say, okay, yeah, I got it. This, is, this situation's getting a little bit tippy. There's some adversity. I think I followed you in faith. Would you just come back in the boat with me? Just come. It was all happy when you were here. You know, I, could you just drop my husband in the boat? Because I'm having some trouble. Could you just have my wife drive by on a jet ski? Because I, I want her to get in the boat Boat, could, could could we just be safe and secure in the boat? Jesus didn't send his disciples into the storm so he could get in the boat with them. He sent them into a storm so he could teach them faith, specifically Peter. And Peter doubled down on his faith. Oh, he had baby faith. He saw what Jesus did with a storm in Matthew eight. He had he had a little, a little more faith, maybe maybe faith. Uh, when he saw Jesus feed the 5,000. But now he's got wavy faith, and he's walking toward Jesus. I I wrote down here, we, we love to sing the song Oceans. You called me out beyond the borders, but then when God asks us to get outside of our comfort zone, we say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I have some follow-up questions, God. If I'm going to walk on the water, are these sandals good for that? Or should I go barefooted? You know, God, if I, will I sink a little bit? <clears throat> like, I'm just trying to, ah. okay, you said, <clears throat> you know, you're walking on the water, I'm asking you if I can come out of the water too. Some follow-up questions, just help me have some clarity. Peter said, no, if it's you, you call me out on the water. Wavy faith. Believing God enough to follow him beyond what seems reasonable. Here's what Jesus replied. Come, verse 29, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. What? <clears throat> you see, sometimes when we step out in faith and do what God wants us to do, he does something that we could never do. And in this instance, he showed up. Peter humanly could not walk on water, okay? Okay. Peter humanly was not anything special. In fact, Peter humanly denied Jesus, denied that he knew Jesus later on and then wept bitterly because he realized what he had done. He was a human like us. But sometimes when we step out in faith, God can use our feeble efforts to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. i I'm want to read you a little story. John Ortberg wrote a book. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. And in that book, he wrote this story. So this guy, Bob, in the story, had just become a a follower of Jesus and Doug was discipling him. And so this is a story about Bob and Doug. It says, Bob became a Christian and began to meet with Doug to learn about his new faith. One day, Bob came in all excited about a statement in the Bible where Jesus says, ask whatever you will in my name and you shall receive it. Is that really true, Bob demanded? Doug explained, well, it's not a blank check. You have to take it in context of the teaching of the whole scriptures on prayer. But yes, it really is true. Jesus really does answer prayer. Great, said Bob. Then I'm going to start praying for something. I think I'll pray for Africa. (laughs) It's kind of a broad topic target. Why don't you narrow it down to one country, Doug advised. All right, I'll pray for Kenya. Do you know anyone in Kenya, Doug asked. No. Ever been to Kenya? No. Bob just thought he'd pray for Kenya. So Doug made an unusual arrangement. He challenged Bob to pray every day for six months for Kenya. If Bob would do that and nothing extraordinary happened, Doug would pay him $500. But if something remarkable did happen, Bob would pay Doug $500. And if Bob did not pray every day, the whole deal was off. It was a pretty unusual prayer program, but then Doug is a creative guy. So Bob began to pray every day for Kenya. And for a long time, nothing happened. Then one night, he was at a dinner in Washington. The people around the table explained what they were doing for a living. One woman said she ran an orphanage in Kenya, the largest of its kind. Bob saw $500 suddenly sprout wings and begin to fly away. But he could not keep quiet. He roared to life. He had not said much up to this point, but now he began pounding her relentlessly with question after question. You're obviously very interested in Kenya, in my country, the woman said to Bob, overwhelmed by the sudden barrage of questions. You've been to Kenya before? No. You really, you know someone in Kenya? No. Then how is it that you happen to be so curious? Well, someone's kind of paying me $500 to pray for he, he tailed off. She asked Bob if he would come, like to come visit Kenya and tour the orphanage. Bob was so eager to go, he would have left that very night if he could. When Bob arrived in Kenya, he was appalled by the poverty and the lack of basic health care. Upon returning to Washington, he couldn't get this place out of his mind. He began to write large pharmaceutical companies describing to them the vast needs he had seen in Kenya. He reminded them that every year they would throw away large amounts of medical supplies that went unsold. Why not send them to this place in Kenya, he said. And some of them did. This orphanage received more than a million dollars worth of medical supplies. The woman called up Bob and said, Bob, this is amazing. We had the most pharmaceutical gifts because of the letters you wrote. We would like to fly you back and have a big party. Will you come? So Bob flew back to Kenya. While he was there, the president of Kenya came to the celebration because it was the largest orphanage in the country and offered to take Bob on a tour of Nairobi, the capital city. In the course of the tour, they saw a prison. Bob asked about a group of prisoners there. They're political prisoners, he was told. That's a bad idea, Bob said brightly. You should let them go. Bob finished the tour and flew back home. Sometime later, Bob received a phone call from the State Department of the United States government. Is this Bob? Yes. Were you recently in Kenya? Yes. Did you make any statement to the president about political prisoners? Yes. What did you say? I told him he should let them go. The State Department official (laughs) explained that their department had been working for years to get the release of these prisoners to no avail. Normal diplomatic channels and political maneuvering had, left, had led to a dead end. But now the prisoners had been released and the State Department was told that it had been largely because of Bob. So, <laughs> so the government was calling to say thanks. Several months later, the president of Kenya made a phone call to Bob. He was going to rearrange his government. And select a new cabinet. Would Bob be willing to fly over and pray for him for three days while he worked on this very important task? So Bob, who was not politically connected to to anyone at all, boarded a plane once more and flew to Kenya where he prayed and asked God to give wisdom to the leader of the nation as he selected his government. All this happened because one man got out of the boat. One man had wavy faith." That stuff doesn't really happen, right? Come on. Really? Really? Bob. Bob. Peter. Peter. How does that stuff really happen? verse 29 again it really happens when Jesus says come and then Peter got out of the boat and walked on water when you and I obey God when he calls us to have greater faith we obey you see when we do that our wavy faith believes that God can do something new through us that was new Peter walking on water that's new In fact, Peter joined a bunch of people in the Bible who had done new things for God, and God did something supernatural because they obeyed. Nobody goes into a lion's den and doesn't get eaten, except Daniel, who had wavy faith, and he believed, and God protected him. Nobody goes into a fiery furnace and doesn't get burned up, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they had wavy faith and they believed. Nobody who's over 90 has a baby except Sarah nobody goes into a tomb for three days and then rises again you see we have a God who who can exceed our wildest expectations as we grow in faith in him especially in the storms that he brings along he wants to grow our faith wavy faith believes that God can do something new through us I've seen him do this over and over and over again in in financial situations, in marriage relationships, in churches, where God shows up and does exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or imagine, according to his riches and glory. Not only does wavy faith believe that God can do something new, but exposure to wavy faith will ruin your excuses. I remember in high school, I, I, had a, I had a, well, my best friend, Troy, and I knew I needed to tell him about Jesus. But I was a high school boy. I, I didn't want to do that. It might wreck our friendship. My brother and I went to Troy's house, and we shared Jesus with Troy, and Troy prayed and asked Jesus to be his leader and forgiver. And that grew my faith. We then went to Dan's house who was a friend of Troy's and Dan prayed and accepted Jesus as his Savior. That grew my faith. We then went to Scarfo's house and shared Jesus and Scotty accepted Christ as his Savior. Scotty and Troy and Dan all went to Bible college with me. Who knew Who who knew that? Who knew? God knew. And God just wanted me to have a little bit of wavy faith and step out and trust him. I'll tell you what, a teenage boy, my storm was, what if these guys think I'm nuts? That's a big risk. And I was on the edge of nuts already, so (laughs) I was probably too close to that line. But God showed up when we step out in wavy faith and double down on our faith instead of doubting. It ruins our excuses. I I wrote some questions down at the end here. You know, what what if, you know, what what storm has God allowed in your life right now? What storm are you in? What storm has got allowed in your career, in your relationships? And are you ready to depend on God in wavy faith and watch him work? Why did God send, why did Jesus send those disciples into the storm? I think he sent them into the storm because he knew the only place they were going to grow in their faith by leaps and bounds was in a storm. My prayer is that for all of us, that we don't desire to get out of the storm so much that we miss the very chance God is giving us to double down on our faith. God, God may be calling you out in faith and saying, I want you to do something more. I, I want you teaching the lesson at VBS this summer. I could never do that. You know, I'm not very good in front of people. No, that's what I really want you to do. There's so-and-so that you know. I-, I want you to invite them to church. I want you to share Jesus with this person. I want you to go across the street and meet your neighbor. Ah, I don't know if I could do that. No, you can. I, I want you in full-time Christian service. I want, you to- I want you to go into ministry. Ah, I don't know if I could do... What is God calling you to do? And are you willing? If he walked in today and said, I want you to get out of the boat, how many of us really would... Or how many of us would just ask him to get in the boat with us? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for challenging us in our faith. And God, I, I confess I'm not, I, I'm not good at this. I, I don't... I want you to join me in the boat just like everybody else. I, I, it is hard for me to step out in faith and be uncomfortable. And, and risk, and yet I know that's what you want. I know you want us to uh, to ask you for big things and then actually expect that you're going to show up. Uh, God, we're, we're asking you for a campus pastor here at Vestal Campus, and yet in this storm I pray that you would keep us here long enough to teach us what you want to teach us. Help us to be willing to put in a place of discomfort and vulnerability in order to learn what you want us to learn. God, I I pray ultimately that you would get glory uh, in the storms of our lives that we're dying to get out of. Help us to embrace them and recognize that you might be in the storm, and there's probably things you want to teach us. Uh, We love you very much. Um, We're on a spiritual journey, and we we just want to be more like you. Please help us. Help us take steps today in wavy faith. In Jesus' name, amen.